you don't sound autistic. Well, uh, what does an autistic person Wait. sound like? You're autistic? Yeah, I'm telling you that. You don't even look autistic. But, but we're talking about... Yeah, but, but I don't buy it. But I, I was diagnosed with autism and ADHD and anxiety and depression. You don't sound autistic. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Sound Autistic. I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And I'm autistic. And I'm not. We'd like to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform so you can be notified of the newest episodes when they're released. Also, be sure to join the Facebook group. Join the group. Join the conversation. That's You Don't Sound Autistic YDSA on Facebook. We like to welcome listeners from different countries and all over the United States and everyone from uh, the Facebook group that's joined recently or anyone that's joined in, in general. We appreciate you and welcome you. Also, check out the website we have, YouDon'tSoundAutistic.com. For episode show notes, links to reference materials in the episode posts. Uh, check out the Brain Hugs of the Shop to find the products we use to manage our daily lives. Go ahead, Rochelle. You Don't Sound Autistic is a mental and emotional health awareness podcast. Each week we do our best to represent both neuro perspectives and talk about the continual discovery process of life on the spectrum. Our goal is to illuminate, uncover, and transparently discuss life with multi-diagnosis through a multi-generational neurodivergent lens. We follow an open, unscripted, conversational format that represents the real life back and forth of communication and collaboration. Even if you aren't raising the next generation, you'll find the comparison of the age groups helpful in seeing the more hidden patterns in the DNA of your lifestyle and lineage. Ooh, that was sexy. Sorry. Snored into the can into the camera, into the microphone again. Trying to breathe. <laughs> um, all right, episode sixty-three. We're here uh, at the beginning of January, twenty twenty-three. What are we going to talk about today? Oh, I've got a whole bunch of things. I have a whole too. Want to see it? Really? Never mind. <laughs> Took it eight seconds. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I tend to let you lead the conversation. Well, we talked about my job. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to belabor the point. So we've already kind of gone over that. Um, you did, by the way, where uh, because you had to leave at the end of the last episode uh, to go pick Declan up. And I uh, I listened to the end and I regret it. <laughs> <coughs> really? Yeah. I, I do not do well by myself. Oh, I no. need someone to feed off of. Because otherwise, I think I just kept repeating myself. Gotcha. So, well, but that's I appreciate the vulnerability of you doing that because that that's very real. It's true. You know, I'm so brave. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we need to talk about something. Okay. Uh, well, we don't need to, but we're going to. Okay, got something in mind? No, I just wanted to uh, talk about how you know when people join the Facebook group. Uh, we asked them three questions. Yeah. And it's, you know, how'd you hear about the podcast? How'd you hear about the Facebook group? And what are you looking forward to us talking about? Any topics that people might recommend? Right. Um, and then, by the way, everyone, if you want to recommend topics, please do it on the Facebook group or you can message uh, Rochelle or I. Or do know, it through the website. Or do it through the website. You don't sound autistic dot com. Mm -hmm. And we're happy to uh, chat with you and, uh, you know, make sure that um, we're we're going over things that are important topics to everybody, mm -hmm. uh, things that other people might find helpful or interesting. Uh, but what I wanted to say was this one particular person 
had said in their response on the Facebook group questions uh, that the reason that they listen to the show is because they like our personalities. Really? Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, that they, they, they were like, yeah, no, no particular, no particular topics, just whatever you guys talk about. I'll, I want to listen to. That's really awesome. Yeah, I, I try to click into each of those, like the the new member requests, before you get a hold of them, uh, because once you approve them, I don't, I don't see them anymore. And right, I screenshot them so I can only share those with you if you want. I would love that because then I know to research those topics that right. they're asking about. And sometimes our listeners do bring up things I haven't really, um, you know, delved into. That's too much. the word delved. Yeah. So that's helpful, but I didn't, I missed that particular one. So that's really exciting. Yeah. We lost a Facebook member. Um, not like they're not dead, but they, uh, they quit. I keep very, I, uh, I was, so I'm listening, I told you, uh, last episode, I, I'm listening to that, um, the Matthew Perry book. Right. And he talks about how important it is for him to, uh, get people's approval mm. and how that's one of the, re- you know, so his, he talks about his, his family, his home life when he was growing up in Canada and his dad being a celebrity. I didn't know that. Yeah, his dad was the old Spice guy back in the like seventies no or eighties. Yeah, <laughs> and um, cool. Yeah, so and and his mom was uh, the like essentially what he describes as the Allison Janney character from West Wing. No way. But for the Prime Minister of Canada. No way. Yeah, uh, Pierre Trudeau, I think. Yeah, name sounds familiar. So, Man, that's one of my favorite shows right there. I know. I just rewatched the whole se- the whole series because I saw it on HBO Max. Um. Anyway, so he says he talks about his uh his need for approval, and sure. I. So for me, the way that I feed on uh that is like I look like looking at the numbers for like how many people have downloaded the podcast that day and how many people have been listening and people that are commenting on the Facebook group and people joining the Facebook group so I keep a very close eye on the number of people that we have in the Facebook group and so when that number dips by one I'm like huh yeah and so it you know it makes me feel like we're not or not really we that I'm not doing a good job well, but I mean, I don't. I know that it's possible that it's people that joined the group in the beginning that right. are just like, why am I on this group? Well, a lot of them were my my personal friends to help us get kind of get started. But at the same time, like we talked before about the perspective, um, and this isn't just for autism alone, but neurodivergence in general kind of lives in a fight or flight state, and so neurodivergence as a whole. Everyone, whether it, you know, it's something like dyscalculia all the way up to bipolar. I mean, we have this filter of panic, this social filter of I did something wrong, like someone, something's, there's a glitch in the universe, you know, like um, people's behavior, if it isn't approval based, feels like a threat, like it feels like rejection. Now, obviously the different um, conditions will handle that with different levels of severity and the responses can be quite varied but the trigger remains very consistent for almost everyone and 
mainly because those are certain things. There's many different aspects of daily life that separate us, make us feel different, that we don't function the same way. And so when someone picks that up and distances themselves from us, it feels like, you know, we've been, we're being rejected. Now, rejection sensitivity being the highest form of that um, sensitivity, but we all feel it. Like, ah, uh, you know, and, and I know that those Facebook numbers mean a lot to you for a lot of, for that reason. Like, oh, they don't like us anymore. And it's like, well, you know, we don't know why that person disappeared. The, 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 the lack, uh, English, English. <laughs> the difficulty with, um, logical thinking is that it lacks perspective a lot of the times. It uses the formula in which the logic was based, and it doesn't really allow for a lot of outside possibility. So what ends up happening is this consistent lack of emotional depth perception, right? Or social depth perception. And what that means is, instead of looking at that number going down, and thinking like, well, maybe that person just got off of Facebook all, all together, which is happening a lot right now. You're thinking, they don't like us anymore. You know, you're jumping straight to some assumed mistake that you made. But we don't know that. We don't, but you don't know one way or the other. And because it could be... I need to know. <laughs> right. To soothe the anxiety that is triggered by the rejection of the assumption. Sure. Okay. And that's fair. It's totally fair. I mean, we, we all deal with it in a lot of different ways and, and that's a very real representation for you. Like, but knowing that it's your anxiety that got peaked when you see that number go down and knowing that you're feeling rejected, at least you can run that through in your mind and go, okay, well, that's how I'm feeling. Are there any other possibilities? And I'll bet if you really stopped to think, thought about it, you could come up with three or four other possibilities of why that person left without it necessarily just being about something you did wrong. And maybe it is. Maybe they just don't, like, we're not producing enough. We had a whole month where we really struggled to um, figure out the timing. Right. Um, for several reasons. We had multiple things happening at once. And, you know, there's also a part where in order to have content for the show, we have to continue experience, like, living our lives because it's our lives that we're talking about. You know, so sometimes we just have to get through harder portions of our life to be able to come back and talk about it. Yeah. Can I pause you real quick? Yeah. Did you you ever listen to my voicemail? Oh, no. I feel like we should play it. Do you really? Yeah, why not? Um, okay. So we're potty training Declan, and he's potty training at uh, the facility he goes to, the daycare. And um, the hardest part has been getting him to poop. And... Uh, so I, um, he pooped the other day and I left Rochelle a voicemail and it's, uh, I don't know. I thought that what happened was pretty funny. You're going to need to put it on speakerphone, obviously. Just bear with us. She's logging in. Are you going to listen to it first? I apparently have multiple voicemails. I have. Oh not. no! Listen to this because it was really funny. 
Declan and I are watching the movie, and I, like in the middle of the movie, I'm like, oh man, he hasn't gone to the bathroom yet. So I'm like, so let's, let's go potty, buddy. And he goes, no, I don't need to. And I was like, well, let's just try. And, and so then I did the reverse psychology thing where I was like, I'll race you, I'm going to pee on your toilet. So he goes over to the bathroom, sits on the toilet, and he goes, and I'm like, are you peeing? He goes, I'm pooping. <laughs> and then he pees and he goes, don't flush it. Mom's going to want to see this. <laughs> so, I hope you like what you see when you get home because you wouldn't let me flush the toilet. And I'm terrified to flush it. I'm actually terrified to go to the bathroom. I'm almost afraid that I'm going to flush it on accident and have to replace it. Anyway. Uh, we're all looking forward to you coming home. Love you, bye. So there you go. Yeah, and that is exactly what happened when I got home, too. He was like, Mom, you're going to want to see this. And was it worth the wait? <laughs> um, it was, you know, a proud moment for many reasons, a disgusting moment, but it was. I was proud of him. I mean, it would been, I think... One of the things that I appreciate about being able to raise a child in an era where I'm a little bit more mature in my own life is that I recognize the value and the critical delivery of praise and right. like real recognition and real genuine heartfelt excitement for accomplishment. And Son number one just made a number two. <laughs> And, and and being grateful for the opportunity to, to express that to him and knowing that, you know, he's got this developing mind and this, this um, in real time developing brain and helping to fire and wire the actual neurochemistry and the neurons and neural pathways that he is using to govern his daily life. And I boost his actual brain function. We boost his brain function by complimenting him and you know celebrating the small wins and helping him feel really excited about that because you know from a that becomes internal motivation and the more we can help him build a positive internal motivation track for himself the easier it will be when he has those more difficult times like as a teenager and you know, and our 20s are a mess. And then getting through those transitions in 30 and 40, like we rely on that early wiring in childhood. And like you mentioned before, recognition um, and rejection are two things that you like struggle with, you know, and how, how much you're seeking approval in places like Facebook numbers shows how much you weren't given that praise when you were little. No one sang songs about me. And did dances around the toilet when I took a shit as a kid. No, I'm sure they didn't. I mean, nope. nobody did for me either. I'll write a song about you. No, I'm good, thanks. Okay. I'm not even sure most people know, like, my parents really noticed me. It was like there was a new infant in my house every two years. So, you know, who knows? But now that we know how important those moments are to celebrate, then 
the more impactful our responses are. So I actually appreciate, as disgusting as it is, I appreciate you saving it for me and letting me have that experience with him. And then yesterday he pooped like three times in the toilet and it was... She's talking about Declan, not me. Declan. (laughs) And it was a really, really big deal because this child has been in fight or flight for the last... Oh, I don't know. Since his birthday. So, you know, basically five, six weeks... And I have his, I have his cranial nerves and I have his organ. I have everything tested every six months and it helps me, um, govern the nutritional plan and the supplements and the things that I give him. And, and I knew that his vagus nerve was going to be over responsive this time around. And it definitely was. And of course, as we, as we have talked, when you are an active fight or flight, one of the first biological functions that shuts down is digestion. Um, and elimination. And so this has been a big milestone, not just because we're potty training, but because his system has been absolutely depressed and non-functioning. Right. And that's toxic. You got to poop. Everybody poops. Yeah, but it's particularly difficult. We don't talk about it. It's not a, a fun t- you know, topic. I'm but, having a blast. <laughs> but it is. If we were to peel back the layers, like there's... Digestive issues, elimination issues um, is a really, really common theme, no matter how old you are, um, no matter where you are. people? Neurodivergence in general, yeah, because okay. it's that chronic fight or flight that, you know, that overactive vagus nerve system and things like that. So, um, I just wanted an excuse to talk about our kid taking a dump. <laughs> I hope everyone could hear that message because um, it was, I was trying to think, I was like, maybe we could... You could send it to me, and then I could upload. I was like, eh, just play it. Yeah, it's a little harder to hear, but... Plus, you hadn't heard it yet, so I thought it'd be fun to listen to your response That would be live. Yeah, that was hilarious. I don't... Um, so, you know, recognition matters. Yeah. Um, so, going back to comments on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, people's... Uh, so, yeah, I, I just... Um, one of the things I was thinking about is that... You know, we, we, I mean, often, most often we try anyway, that's our goal is to talk about things related to neurodiversity. But I was thinking, I was like, you know, if it, it's a matter of perspective, this is a conversation, you know, I'd like to talk about what things people want us to cover, but there's also things that, you know, special interests and stuff like that, that, uh, people have that aren't necessarily related to neurodiversity, um, but are still interesting topics to cover and getting it from another uh, neurodivergent person myself and then also getting the perspective of the neurotypical you. Right. So I'm saying like we don't necessarily, I don't feel like, I mean, we've been doing this show for such a while now. I feel like we could t- we can cover, that's one of the reasons I started bringing in News Minute and Pop Minute mm-hmm. because, you know, we're talking about different things that are kind of going on in the world, um, but also getting the perspectives uh, from both of us and in and of itself, I feel like that covers, um, to a degree anyway, uh, something that's relatable and, and people that are listening can, you know, if they're listening on behalf of someone that they care about, yep, that's neurodivergent, like autistic or whatever, um, then they might see in me something that is relatable to the person that they care about or if it's the person themselves that is neurodivergent listening Mm -hmm. they might see something in me or you know see something in you like as a reflection of someone that they know that isn't that's neurotypical rather right now i don't believe i'm neurotypical but i'm not autistic 
I thought I was neurotypical, but considering my learning disabilities, um, and she, she just wants to be part of the group, the cool kids. Well, I, whether I want to or not, I think it, um, see now, now you're classifying a behavior as a want when in reality, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, I don't understand sarcasm. No, I know you don't. Sorry. Um, I have the learning disabilities, uh, and I, all of them. Uh, I have, I have over half of them. Okay. I have, I have more of them than I realized. Um, and I struggle a bit. Like I have dyslexia. I have dyscalculia, um, what's basically, you know, math concepts and then, um, dysgraphia. What's that one? That's when what you, what you're trying to write like what comes, what you, what I'm writing is not what my hand does. What my hand ends up doing is something like different. And you look back and I'm like, what the hell? Am, what's happening? It's like I'm, I know how to form the letters in my mind, and I'm making my hand do it, but that's not what my hand is writing. So there's a disconnect between what you write and what you're trying to write. Okay, that seems very related to. Uh, it's an dyslexia. Over, it's this oversimpl. Yeah. Well, in dyslexia, I'm actually mentally switching letters or numbers, or in my case, you know, full words or phrases. I mean, I can I can end up jumbling quite a lot. And dyscalculia is basically doing that with math concepts. I really struggle. Right. I had a guy that um, worked for me years ago, and he had dyscalculia and. Um, like I didn't know that yeah and you know it was a part of the position was to do sales and his and he was always doing like his math wrong and I'm like what is wrong dude he's a calculator and he's like I have dyscalculia I was like I was like what is that yeah it's a bitch like I thought it was like diarrhea no it's it's I struggle like of course I'm in um I'm a budding data scientist now and luckily that uses a lot of programming but even something as simple, and you're going to laugh, and that's fine, but something as simple as greater than or equal to or less than or equal to with the two little carrot symbols, oh, my God, it fucks my brain up so bad. Like, I'm like, which one is which? Every single time. And I know them, and I know the little, okay, which one opens to the... It doesn't matter. Like, I look at it, and it short circuits my brain every single time I'll see it because I can't tell. Isn't it less than points to the left? I mean, I memorize the thing, but I have to re evaluate the phrase with what I see like every time and then I'm doing all the statistics and I'm doing these big you know mental math problems and I I'm struggling with all of it so I have to really write it down I have to like I thought it was less than left greater than right it doesn't matter what it is like I have to just memorize that just memorize that yeah I'm gonna just memorize anything (laughs) <laughs> it's not right, that well, e- it's tried. not that I'm easy. I'm trying to help you. I know, and I uh, the thing is, is that I it's never come just, to my artistic arms. Ooh, that sounded dirty. It's never gonna stick. Every single time I look at it, I'm gonna have to stop and take a breath and go through and like conjure up that phrase and then think my way through it every single time. Just say it over and over again. <clears throat> That's how I train myself to do things. But I have a learning disability, so I don't have I have a learning challenge. I don't, it's not that easy. My brain doesn't store that information as like it. I can I can see the information, but how my brain sorts and organizes it gets jumbled. So my ability to recall it is jumbled. Okay. This is going to sound funny, but as someone that's got some, uh, is it 
would you call it? I guess it is a disability, but um, I judge you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I'm sure that there are people listening that have uh, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, dys... Dyspraxia is Comfort. another one. I mean, there's they're really common. So the learning challenges, if you go to Rochelle Chandler, I have a neurobiodiversity scale that I created there, and it's a really good visual for this. But when you look at the fight or flight, freeze state of the central nervous system, and you kind of lay it out on a continuum, and you put the fight or flight on the left, and then you put the freeze on the right and you and they have you go if you're a medical research blogger like I am like you go through and you read a lot of these research papers and you'll find consistencies in the in the conditions that kind of all get grouped together with certain parts of the brain that function or dysfunction similarly and so they all tend to be on the free side so like depression ADD inattentive um, autism hyper empathy disorder um, bipolar, schizophrenia, they all kind of group together in the same part of the brain. Hyper-empathy disorder? What is that? Hyper-empathy disorder. Sounds dis- like something where you uh, see someone else crying and then you cry and shit yourself and die of shame. Well, without the shit yourself part, but yeah. Okay. Otherwise, yeah. Hyper-empathy disorder is not known enough. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. What What I'm hearing more is this concept of a highly sensitive person but a highly sensitive person and hyperempathy disorder are similar, yet they're not the same thing. Highly sensitive person is a catchphrase, um, which can apply to any of the neurodiversities. It, it doesn't matter. Like it's not specific to one or the other. Hyperempathy. So the the part of the brain that allows an individual to empathize or not empathize with another person is overactive on the freeze side of the scale. It's overactive in autism. It's overactive in bipolar. It's overactive in these areas. And what that basically means is that I don't just have a regular amount of empathy for the things you go through. I have a hyper amount of empathy, meaning I can't control how empathetic I am. If you have an issue going on... So it is like diarrhea. Yeah, of the emotions. I mean, if you have an issue going on, I not only feel it, I feel everything you're feeling, but I also respond to what you're feeling as if I'm the one feeling it. And how come you don't laugh at my jokes that much? Because I get Cause irritated. Because I'm, I'm feeling it, and you're not feeling the funny. N- yeah, because to me, they're not funny. <laughs> I laugh when they're funny, but... I, Shameful. I'm sorry, but no, it's that's why like we watch these TV shows and I'm crying over nothing, you know, because the TV actor or the scenario is is tense or tender or whatever. Like I, my brain sees it and my brain thinks it's happening to me and my brain puts me through it as if it is happening to me, even though I know I'm sitting there on the couch. I know it's a movie. I know all these things to be. So I can't watch horror movies. I can't watch anything. And my tolerance for watching violence, my tolerance for watching, you know, even um, coercion or extreme anger or fighting, like my tolerance for these things is becoming really, really small because what my body goes through when I see these things is so big that I, I don't want to continue experiencing that kind of stuff unless it really is my experience. So what does that say about me? Well, there's another side of the population 
that has um, on the fight flight side of the scale is anxiety, ADHD, um, conduct disorder, empathy deficit disorder, narcissism. So when you go down that scale, that this is a high testosterone side of the scale. The free side is a high estrogen side of the scale. It's just hormones, just straight up hormones, like no judgment, no, no categorization here. It's straight up connected to hormones that actual narcissists, and that word is being thrown around right now, like wildfire. Everyone's a narcissist if you care about yourself. Well, that's a misrepresentation of narcissism, clinical narcissism has traits, but it also has hormonal signatures in high testosterone. It's like sociopathic, right? That's another one, yeah. But it's an actual lack of, it's an under-functioning section of that brain that would be able to relate to empathy. This side of the brain is decided, I'm so tired of feeling rejected. I'm so tired of feeling anxious. I'm just going to turn that part off and feel nothing. So now punishment means nothing to me. Like, I, I don't care if you punish me. I don't care if watching someone else hurt and be in pain. I feel nothing. Like, it's an actual under-functioning part of the brain that tells you that what you see is something that your body needs to feel. So it's really interesting when you put this neuroscience lens on the, all these social constructs and you look at it from back here and you go, oh, okay, this really is about the quality of brain chemistry, like throwing all these terms around because someone has hurt you is not always socially helpful because it's confusing to people who are really trying to learn about themselves and correct parts of their lives they, they want to feel better in, you know? And so um, narcissists and conduct disorder and empathy deficit literally have under-functioning empathy, em empathy sections of their brain. So are you, is that your long-winded way of saying that you think I have empathy disorder? Deficit disorder? Yeah. You do not. You do not. You you are the other. You have hyper-empathy. You just don't know it. I mean, I watch... But the thing is, I watch the same. I watch movies and I can, I can compartmentalize, though, from watching a movie and watching a news story or, or something and, and realizing that what I'm watching is, is, uh, is, is fake. Yeah, you, I'm not saying that you're, I'm just explaining the scope of the, of the scale and the neuroscience behind those feelings. You actually have hyper empathy. You just don't know it. So if I'll give you a great example and I can give you 40 examples if we had the time. Let's say, here's a recent one you'll remember. Your sister gave me a really awesome Christmas present. But at the time that you asked me, hey, did you open her Christmas present? Do you like it? I was frustratingly trying to cut the heads off of some strawberries. And I was struggling because my knife wasn't very sharp. Now, at the moment that you asked me that question, you weren't aware of what I was doing. Okay. So you immediately read the frustration on my face because I was like, yeah. And I didn't give this immediate approval of the gift because I was responding to multiple things at once, but you assumed that my frustration was about her gift and you had no awareness that I was doing anything else. So you hyper assumed, like you, you, you hyper reacted and made some assumptions. You're like, oh, well, if it wasn't that good of a gift, I was like, whoa, 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 I haven't even answered you yet. Like I just, I just let out a sigh of frustration for the strawberries so that I could 
move on to answering your question. And I didn't even get a chance to answer your question before you assumed that I was dissing the gift. Like you went so fast through that process because you read the frustration that I was feeling and assumed it was the answer to your question and it wasn't. How does that make me hyper empathetic? Because empathy is one of those things that it's, by definition, there's empathy for another person, but it's also this assumption of your ability to feel, you felt my frustration and assumed it was the answer to your question. Hyper empathy feels what other people feel. Okay. So in utilization of the hyper empathy skill, you could feel my feelings. You just didn't know the context for my feelings and you didn't wait long enough. Hyper empathy doesn't wait. Hyper empathy is when the brain immediately jumps to a conclusion, feels the feeling, sorry, backwards, feels the feeling and immediately jumps to a conclusion. It happens so fast in the brain because it's actually a protective response because if you detect someone around you is not happy, then that person could become a threat to you. So you immediately jump into mode to fix their issues or resolve their emotional strife so that they don't then, you know, get mad at you and put you through emotional strife. So do you see how it's, it's like, it's such, it's like that bottle rocket temper for ADHD, but instead of going through the anger explosive response, you're going through the, Oh, you don't feel good right now. Let me fix it for you. Response. Yeah. I guess that's true that I do that. Cause I feel my feelings. Yes, you do. I think one of the biggest and other people's feelings. Yes, you do. And so this is um, I've had several conversations with people about this. And I, I believe firmly there's a big misunderstanding about autistic individuals because there's a core belief that almost everyone listening, if not everyone listening to this, is probably going to agree with instantly that there's a core belief that is wrong, that autistic individuals don't feel right. The, and the, the initial lingo that went out about autism is like you're just you just don't feel things you don't and I'm like that's not true actually what I believe to be true is that you feel everything because you're on the free side of the scale with hyper empathy I believe that when you combine the parts of the brain that are indicated in autism with the you know with the heavy prevalence for depression and the hypersensitivity of hyper empathy. I don't believe you don't feel, I believe you feel everything and it shuts you down because the free side of the scale is the most primitive limbic system response. And you literally just freeze in place until the threat that you perceive is gone. But what if the threat that you perceive is everyone around you's over, active emotions right interesting plus your own feelings about everyone else's feelings and we know that autism comes with sensory processing disorder or challenges in general and um, a lot of that can be fueled by you know those parts of the actual parts of the brain that need help developing and that's fine that's everyone has sensory processing skills the question is um to what degree and to what degree do your nerves and your sensory input mechanisms become flooded and how quickly? Wait, so, sensory input deficits or because you said skills? 
It could be both. It could be either deficits or um, overactive or underactive sensory input. So sensory input, to be clear, is like the nerves you use to see, the nerves you use to hear, to touch, to smell. Um, to, so when you're processing sound, when you're processing light, when you're processing the, n- the quantity of things in a room, when you're processing other people's emotions, like it's all the things that you feel. It's the sensory input nerves. There's there's several different aspects to a central nervous system, and one of them is dealing with all the input that your body br- receives through interacting with the outside world. Okay. That's a lot of information. Well, it's like how um, you can be sensitive to heat and prefer cold. Like a lot right. of a lot of our kids actually ask for cold water, like cold water baths, because the cold water feels better to their nerves. Like they're very sensitive. Even even a lukewarm bath can feel too hot. But see, I was never like that. Uh, to me, like I remember being sick when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and um, I had a fever, and my mom and my stepdad put me in a lukewarm bath, and it felt like ice. Well, but you were sick at that time. No, I know, but I'm just saying that it it felt like punishment. Right. Like the but the water like I I prefer like when I I don't want it to be scalding, but I like it to be really warm. Your gener our generation has less of these temperature sensitivities. Declan's generation and the group around him, the moms groups that I'm in, we consistently have kids that ask for cold water baths like the next generation it's more severe well it just depends because if it's if i'm outside and it's raining the cold water i i hate the cold water i don't like cold water when i'm swimming right um i like the water to be warm and but if but if i'm outside i would prefer it to be a little bit colder than a little bit too hot right so it depends on the situation agreed and and that's i hear that a lot about you know you prefer a little bit you prefer warmer water like you don't like to get out of the shower um unless it's warm air also in the bathroom so like almost right. running a heater would be better for you like there's there's but that's a temperature so temperature uh, one there's a part of the brain that handles temperature regulation um in the hypothalamus but also it's a it is a sensory input nerve is temperature because we use our skin right and the sensory nerves um, to detect whether or not our environment is a threat to us. It's how we detect like, oh, that's a hot stove, don't touch it. Or you don't stick your tongue on a freezing pipe. You know, all those little nuances that come along with deciding whether or not you're safe in your environment require sensory input. So walking into a target, for example, if you're struggling with your sensory processing, the amount of visual things to look at the amount of colors the amount of people it's overstimulating and there's a lot of um autistic individuals especially in kids that can't walk into big box stores like it's a pretty well-known thing it's just overwhelming well you know they say that the, your skin is the largest organ right on your body but my largest organ is just made of skin <laughs> okay sorry continue <laughs> um so back to the big box stores no so that's just, that was tangential but the the point of it is that i believe that autistic individuals specifically feel everything including the emotions and the um environment that is not yours what you lack what makes it overstimulating and therefore shuts you down so quickly 
And it's difficult even for me, so I can only imagine how much more difficult it is because I don't have autism. I, the ability to differentiate... You wouldn't say that you don't have autism. You would say I'm not autistic. Thank you. Well, I'm on cold medicine, so the fact that I'm even having a conversation right now, I give myself points for. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. Um, I have to really, really work and specifically look at how I'm feeling and differentiate how I'm feeling from how other people are feeling. And it's quite a skill that I've had to develop, but it's not a skill I've had for most of my life. And it's not a skill anyone's ever taught me. So unless we start talking about this, whether like you said before, this is for yourself or someone you love, knowing that autism and hyper empathy are so close to each other on the free side of the scale means that the likelihood that you're feeling everything and don't have the ability to differentiate what you're feeling from what someone else is feeling is a huge part of being able to interact socially with other people and feel safe when you're interacting in, in places outside of your home. Sometimes even in your home, depending on, you know, the health of your home. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once? Uh, I don't think so. Or something something like that? Um, I remember, like... It, I'm not going to comment on the movie, but the title to me suggested, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is about people that have ADHD. Because they say that people that have ADHD live in the past, present, and future, like that, right. in, in our brains. Yep. And that, like, the way that we, the way our minds can construct time mm -hmm. is different than the way that other people experience it. That's very, very true. So that movie title itself, maybe I was like, oh, but it's not about that at all. Um, it's, uh, I just, that title could have been about a, a, a person with ADHD. Well, and autism experiences the construct of time very differently also. Like, um, and it's more closely related to ADD and attentive where you almost have like this really loose relationship with time where it just kind of stands still on you. They conflict. It is pretty horrible. I cannot, I can only imagine. And then to know the statistics that 80% of the time ADHD and autism coexist in the same person. I mean, just the amount of confliction that that, creates is is a whole other thing but in if you've ever noticed with um ADD and attentive and autism it's almost like there is no sense of time and you almost can't get yourself or your child or your spouse to do anything unless you create a, a state of emergency you have to you know, almost treat it like you have to almost put the moment in fight or flight in order to f focus their brains in order to get them to move from point A to point B. And it, it's really frustrating. And I'm um, standing back and noticing that, oh, wow, it's almost like I have to create this sense of urgency because it doesn't really exist. So you've been doing that on purpose? No, but I'm noticing that that's what ends up like happening. When I didn't take the trash out the other day, yesterday. and Oh, well, you know, now that you say that, yeah. That you, is what you happened. You did that on purpose? I didn't do it intentionally, if that's what you mean. But okay. as a learned response, that, that that does fit what happened. It's like Declan and I can do fine in the morning. And I'm not saying this applies 100% to everyone because obviously the overlap of conditions would make this particular aspect very customized to the individual. And we're doing fine until the last 10 minutes where we need to go. And all of a sudden, you know, that that relaxed sense of, okay, let's get ready. Let's brush your teeth. Let's put your clothes on. 
becomes this, okay, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go, you know, kind of thing. Like, we're going to be late. And until there's almost that pressure, things don't necessarily fall into place in order to leave. Now, some days are better than others, but there's there are days where he's just like, you know, he could sit there for five minutes or five hours and it would be the same for him. I can relate to that. So, anyways, um, there is usefulness to some degree of knowing when your body is in fight or flight, you know, because it does help you focus and sometimes, and focus is something I think we all struggle with sometimes. So, or all the time and, but being aware that your body's in fight or flight in order to focus is very important because staying in fight or flight is damaging. It's straight up damaging to your immune system, to your digestive system, to your neuro integration. It's damaging to every part of the body. We're not supposed to stay there. We're only supposed to be there for a moment and then downregulate back into the parasympathetic or rest and digest part of, of being human. It's always hard to comment when you say so much. <laughs> it's so insightful. Thanks. That's a very kind way of saying I rattle. Well, what's funny is that earlier you said that you like to let me, um, what was the phrase you used? You you said that you like to let me um, start us off. Uh-huh. Um, but you certainly like to keep us going. <laughs> well, in reality... I'm struggling sometimes to keep my thoughts on my own track. And so sometimes it's just a longer thought and I appreciate your patience. I know I can lose you in the same time it takes for me to try to get from point A to point B in my own thought. Well, and we've had to stop and restart this episode several times now. So yeah, um, it's, it's really taxing my working memory. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> but um, I appreciate your patience. So <clears throat> do you spend any time when you, when you are in a, a moment of stress and you're feeling anxious, do you ever stop and say, is this, is what I'm feeling my anxiety or my feelings or am I feeling the other person's anxiety? Do you ever do that? No. Have you ever been aware that you feel other people's anxiety? Not on purpose. Right. You don't feel that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Have you ever been aware that part of what you're feeling is theirs and not yours? It's a better way to ask the question. It mostly feels like it's my feelings. And that's hyper empathy. Hyper empathy is when your brain tells you that those are all your feelings when in fact they're not. You're feeling someone else's. It's like OCD is also, it also has the mechanism where your brain lies to you and tells you that if you do this thing repetitively, then you'll be safe. Right. Well, hyper empathy has that same quality where it doesn't tell you that you're feeling other people's feelings. You have to it's you have to learn stop and face the context of the situation and ask yourself the question like, is this what I is this are these my feelings or are these their feelings? It's a literal question you actually need to ask your brain because your brain has the ability to split the two feeds, but only if you ask it. I'll start asking the question. Can you write that down? Maybe I should get it tattooed on my arm. <laughs> there you go. It's a skill we actually learned in um, in cranial psychotherapy because 
by nature as a craniosacral therapist and most body workers are, are honestly and and most therapeutic settings especially in cranial though because I'm connecting my central nervous system to my clients and I'm using how do you plug into that just by by fit, physical fit physical touch no I'm just touching and my hands just gently resting on their skin all right but it's a skill that I learned in that training because I have to be able to differentiate if what I'm feeling is from them or me, because at that point the ener- the electrical, the energies are connected. Um, and it was a skill that in learning how to do that and I'm, and I'm good, I'm a very good cranial psychotherapist. I realized I was like, Holy shit, this is the training that no one gave me for my life. Like I, I can be easily manipulated by people who throw themselves in constant crisis because I can't differentiate between their crisis and my crisis. Therefore, I have shit boundaries because I don't know how to draw them. And instead, someone else who lives their life in constant crisis or in the, you know, the like I have family members with ADHD and they just constantly live in the future and they constantly like, I got to go, 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 go. I get my 10,000 steps, you know, like all these big things that I would allow them to throw me into that state because I couldn't draw a boundary between them and their anxiety and their hyperactivity versus mine and my lack of those things, I had to solve it for them. Like I had to make their life calm again, walk them through, put myself in their shoes and help them downregulate so that I could be at peace again. And I was like, oh, I've spent, I've wasted my whole life like this. Like no one told me. And I don't think anyone is talking about it in terms of autism. So it's an important thing to discuss because I think it absolutely exists in the world, but because there's so many sensory challenges in something as simple as the rain or the temperature of the air when you get out of the shower or, you know, the numbers of the number of colors and things in the room, like just the details of senses in and of themselves are already overwhelming that we don't take it a step further and add in the emotional piece as well. Yes. You didn't really leave any room for me to... There's nothing to comment on when you just are stating a fact. Well, when I'm... Unless you're not stating a fact, in which case I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't... My original statement was we don't talk enough about how autistic individuals feel everything. Okay. And how it's the process of feeling everything that creates the shutdown not that you feel nothing and therefore are shut down because you feel nothing right because you feel so much then it's harder to be able to um hey you're killing me smalls the kid will not stop talking and it's making recording very difficult for blake's brain and rochelle's probably too yeah you're on the, what you were saying is correct. If you can, I lost my train of thought. I don't even know what I was saying. Oh, because I feel everything. Yes. So because I feel so much, I um, um. Oh shit! I can't remember. Like what I was you're like say. struggling to sort what you're feeling. Right, because everything's being filtered. Everything it's trying to filter everything at once. Right. Now, we also know that for an autistic brain, that processing part 
of daily life is a slower process. You have a bigger database to sort through. So your ability to sort through input, let's call it data, whether it's an emotion or an experience or a light or a sound, whatever that data is, your ability to process it. So to let that sensory input come into the brain, to allow the brain to identify it, and then from the identification place, know where to sort it away is a process that takes longer. And then when you add the fact that you're processing much more data because you now feel, because you feel everything, I mean, you can see why it just takes an extra minute and you can see why social interactions can feel strained because you're taking the time to do all of those things. And neurotypicals would um, basically do that process much faster using a lot less information because they're usually the ones giving off a lot of the unregulated information and emotion um, with or without respect to other people. I'm not judging one way or the other. I'm just saying that it's not as big of a process because they're not feeling everything. They're not always feeling everyone else's emotions. They're usually just feeling their own. So you're trying to process twice the data, right? Um, and it's, it's an unfair comparison. So social interactions can usually be where we see the difference, but I don't think it's fair to say that you have like a social deficit necessarily. I just think that our timing of social interactions needs to slow down in general. So uh, kind of going back to me talking about work, you know, yeah, because now I'm in a position where, you know, I'm stocking shelves and stuff like that. And but then I'm in plain view of customers so they can walk up to me and they can ask me questions about where things are or whatever. And so when people come up to me, you know, uh, when people walk by, I'm supposed to greet them. Mm-hmm. So I have to be like, good morning. And um, and 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 sometimes like I literally have to be like on my toes because I'll say good morning and they'll say good morning or I'll say good morning and they'll say, how are you? And I'll say, oh, oh shit, here's the start of a conversation. Right. So I mean, but they're usually quick. So um, I'll if someone says, how are you? You don't want to just say, I'm great. Thanks. You have to. I feel like my learned response is to say, I'm, I'm well, thanks. How are you? Right. So I'm not just saying good morning, good morning. So it's like it literally like stops me and I have to think, oh, OK, so that they said or or I'll say, hi, how are you? And they'll say, I'm well, thanks. And I'm like, great. And then I'm like, um, after I say, hi, how are you? And they say, great, thanks. How are you? I've literally caught myself saying, great, thanks. How are you? Oh, fuck. <laughs> In your situation, which is... Um, Does that make sense what I just said? Yeah. That I'm literally like repeating the question, even though I'm... Because it's my response. I'm like, oh, I messed up. Well, right. No, I agree. And it, and it's a challenge. You wouldn't think of this necessarily going in, but you're, you kind of live in a highly interruptible state at all times. So maybe the learned response or the rehearsed thing to give yourself is like, what oh, can I help you find something? So that you're ending the social aspect and turning it back into you know no but not if they what if they if they say how are you and i say can i help you find something i'm not answering their question no you answer the question i'm great thanks can i help you find something oh and then you turn it back now you've given and you them- can't remember left 
left less than, right greater than. But you expect me to remember that? I need more tattoos. Okay, go get one, honey. Go ahead. And I have none. Well, watch out, buddy. It's whether or not my brain can process the visual image and then make sense of it. The greater, le- greater than and less than. Those two images, my, I can't. Yeah, but you're expecting me to remember something in the moment also. No, what I'm saying is um, you mentioned a learned response, which is very common. And so if you, this is just another adaptation of a learned response that you could create for this environment. Then they say, great, you know, how are you? And you go, I'm great, thanks. Can I help you find something? You're taking control of the conversation. You're putting it back into a customer service position. I still feel like I'm going to say, I'm great, thanks, how are you? And you and might for a them, while. And, and I'm like, wait, this is a never-ending loop. Because when, <laughs> when you say that, people look at you, and then I'm like, oh, shit, I think I just... Started a conversation. Well, because it's just, I'm going through the motions of right. conversation. Because I don't necessarily, you know, they don't know this at work, but... I'm not necessarily the the biggest people person. Right. But remember that anytime you're asking your brain to do something new, you literally do not have the brain synapses formed yet or the neural networks formed in order to create that habit. So the first several times you do it, the first four, five, six times you do it, you're going to feel really awkward. You're not going to feel like it's normal and natural because we only really operate our daily lives with 5 to 15% of our brain capacity. The other 85 to 95% of the brain is based on habitual action. So what you're doing is you're integrating a new conversation, right? Or a new learned response and you've got to get it through that 5 to 15% where it's brand new until it's cre- until you've created the the habit. So you just have to do it 5 or 6 times to people and make that learned response a habit. And then when they start the conversation with you, you'll have the habit to go pull from. And it'll be just as easy as saying, in response, how are you versus can I help you find something? But then, I don't know. Then there's times when there's like several people walking by. And I don't know if I'm supposed to be like, I felt like, um, this is an old uh, reference, but in the movie Crocodile Dundee, you know, he he's coming from the outback. Uh-huh. And so like where you'd greet everybody. Right. But then he's walking around New York and he's like, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day, good day. <laughs> and that's how it feels. I'm like, am I supposed to be like, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, no. good morning, good morning to everybody. That no, I don't think you are. I think, but so knowing that you have the ability to feel other people's feelings can be a huge asset to you. So let's talk about it in application to this. So you, if you know that you have the ability to feel other people's feelings, you can kind of tune into them like a radio station and be like, okay, let's tune into them. Do they want recognition or do they want to be left alone? And you'll get a vibe from I'm pretty them. good at uh, noticing that because like, I feel like... Well, but the thing is that they say like if people walk by, you're supposed to greet them. But if I see that someone's on their phone... Right, or they have that leave me alone vibe. Yeah, or they're they're not making eye contact, like they're looking down. Right, then honor their space because... What what your company what every company does is creates this idea of a perfect customer interaction that's really based in neurotypical expectation and it's based in this place where if we do this 100 percent of the time no one will ever accuse us of being rude right it's not actually socially forward it's not respectful 
to other people. It's based on a liability clause that says if we do this 100% of the time, you're not going to call us rude. Except oftentimes, because how neurodivergent our planet is now, without the recognition of it being neurodivergent, if you actually did that 100% of the time, you would be rude. If you took, if you saw someone walking down the aisle and they were clearly in their own space, maybe feeling their own anxiety, they don't know where to find something, they don't really like being in stores, now you're forcing a social interaction on them? That's almost more rude. I mean, it's just a matter of time before everyone gets their voice and comes back and schools companies on the fact that they're their employee practices are neurotypical and exclusionary and rude as hell. Like why force me to talk to if I, if I need help, I'm going to ask for it. Don't, I don't want to be assaulted by every single customer, every single um, employee that you have expecting me to need help or want to be greeted. There was this time I went to micro center to, I was going to get parts for my computer and I walked in and then, I don't remember what it was, but they were having some kind of sale. It was like a busy Saturday or something. And I walked in and like every single salesperson is like, hi, how can I help you? Hi, how can I help you? Hi, how can I help you? Right. That's it. It's, it's, in, it's intrusive. And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> so I don't want to be that guy, but I also don't want to get fired. No, but so this is why I'm saying you actually do have the ability to read people and apply it. Now, Obviously, the managers are probably not looking at it from this perspective, but I don't know. It's a fine line. I understand it. I mean, yeah, you don't want to get fired and you know those expectations are out there, but you know, in the end of the day, I don't know. I feel like you have to honor yourself and you have to do your best to honor the customer and a customer who feels like they've been honored are not going to go complain. Hopefully. Someone who doesn't want to be talked to isn't going to go bitch that they just got talked to. You know, like, you know what I mean? If I don't want you to talk to me and you came up and talked to me, you just did what I didn't want you to do. I'm not going to be like, they didn't go talk to me. Right? Right. The person who complains about not getting talked to is the person who demands your attention. Yeah. And, and when someone demands your attention, you can feel them walk into an aisle. Like, their energy... The what they radiate because everything here's what okay emotions actually create a magnetic feeling inside the body thoughts create electricity thoughts literally trigger the electricity in the brain the neurochemistry the neuroelectricity to to fire and wire the brain emotions are magnetic they're literally magnetic you can feel them emit from other people I know how crazy that sounds but I'm not wrong So go with me on this. So when someone comes into your aisle and they want attention and they want all that superiority and they want to be catered to, you feel it. Like it's undeniable. They'll almost be like, who can I attract into my force field? You have family members that do this very well. So knowing that that's their feeling versus yours is a helpful skill because then you'll be like, oh, someone's trying to pull me into their force field. You'll know to stop what you're doing and look and go, hi, can I help you? Because that is what they want. So I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but I did talk to you about it. Um, there was a, a, when I first started the job, like the, it was within the first, I feel like it was like the first day or two. And they had give us an app that will 
tell you different information about where things are located in the store, what the price is. There's a lot of different things you can look up. Right. And so as you're learning where things are located, people come up naturally. They're going to come up to you. They see you work there and they're going to go, hey, where's this? And if you go, I don't know, you know, they're going to be like, okay. So that happens that to me, it's happened to me a few times where someone comes up and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not sure, but let me look that up real quick for you. Yeah. And um, this woman was and I work in the grocery section of the store, which is basically the middle of the store. I don't work in the produce section. I don't work in the, you know, dairy or uh, you're like in boxed foods, like boxed and canned, like um, I mean, packaged in, in other grocery items. But it, but anyway, so this lady, I was walking around the corner, you know, from one aisle to the other. And the lady's like, excuse me, can you help me? I was like, oh, yeah. And she goes, do you have whole chicken? And I was like, you know, I'm not sure, but let me look that up. And she goes, Ugh. uh, well, can you find someone that can help me? And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm literally brand new, but yeah, of course I can find someone. So, um, so I go into, I walk over to the, uh, not the, not the deli, but the, um, what is that called? The, the, the butcher area. Shoot. No, not the not the deli. That's on the other side of the store. But like the meat department, whatever. And um, so I asked someone if they would come around the corner. I was like, "Hey, can you this this woman has a question I can't answer. She's asking about whole chickens." And um, and that's logical because the whole chickens would be in the poultry department, like in the meat department. Right. Well, that's where she was standing. She was looking at chicken, and she said, "Do you have whole chicken?" And I was like, "Well, I think this is a whole chicken." And she goes, "No, I don't want anything fancy." And I was like, "Well, then I'm not sure." So that's anyway, I got someone else to help. He comes around the corner and as he's coming around the corner, she asks the guy and then she finds what she's looking for before she even really gets a chance to ask him. So he's looking at me like, why'd you bother asking me to come over here? And she looked at me and looked at the other guy and she was like, make sure that this guy gets some training. That's so rude. Honestly, it's, it's, that's projection on her part. And like I told you I was new. Yeah, she was not able... Okay, so to, if I were to dissect the situation, you're feeling obviously insecure because you're just barely getting the hang of the app and where things are in the store. Like, you've barely been there long enough to, to know where everything is. What she's frustrated with is the fact that she can't find it fast and she wants someone to resolve her anxiety for the fact that she feels lost. So instead of owning her own anxiety about the fact that she's lost and can't find exactly what she's looking for, nor can she communicate what she's looking for, because once you did show her a whole chicken, she goes, oh, that's too fancy. Now she's got qualifications on a whole chicken. She didn't give you in the beginning. So she's a shit communicator and she has anxiety about the about not being able to find it. And she just projected all of that onto your inability to identify that for her and solve it for her. So do you see the loop of this situation? You're saying I should have called her a bitch to her, <laughs> Say, to her, to her face. I'm saying that she's, she's probably used to manipulating other people's hyper empathy to get what she wants. And in this particular case, she was unsuccessful at manipulating you to solve her problems for her. So she just projected her dis her dissatisfaction as your inability to do something. Do you see the loop? I guess so. It happens all the time because there are those of us that put ourselves in position 
to solve other people's emotional problems so that they don't end up solving it themselves. But the person who typically creates that situation has also become accustomed to just flailing out their emotions and having someone else step in and fix it for them. So they never actually have to address their own feelings for themselves. They never do their own growth. They always put it on someone else. They project their growth needs onto someone else. That's what she did for you. That's what she did to you. To me. To you. Declan does it to me all the time. Like, let's be honest. As parents, we experience this constantly. And I'm going to frame it like this. Our child needs our, our, my attention. He knows that I'm focused doing something for myself. So instantly, what happens? He throws himself into a state of fight or flight. He becomes high-pitched whiny. His body starts to collapse. He doesn't like stand up really strong. He starts to kind of melt down to the floor and kick his legs around. And, and it's just this, this event where he's putting himself in crisis so that it will throw me in fight or flight so that I'll focus on him and fix whatever he wants my attention for. And then as soon as I do what he wants, oh, suddenly he's back to normal. It's a performance. It's a neurological manipulation that has been happening for centuries, years and years and years and generations and generations. And it has been so fired and so wired into the brains that now we have things like, you know, all these representations in these nameable segmented conditions because it has become so commonplace that it's part of our social construct. We don't even recognize it until it fails us. So here we go. It's actually all loops of fight or flight and these hyper empathy or empathy deficit. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting how neurochemists, that's why I appreciate, I'm rambling because my brain is getting tired, but I appreciate the ability to overlay the neuroscience of all these social constructs because if we just look at them socially, we get them wrong a lot of the times like we perceive things through a threat detector and we don't actually peel them apart and figure out how to work with them they just become overwhelming I mean how often is your life just overwhelming I mean often and what do you do for yourself when you're feeling so overwhelmed it depends on I, I don't know. It just depends. Like, what are your go-to down regulation? Like, what do you... That's a fancy word. What do you go to to feel better? What's the first things you do? Well, th what I used to do is drink a lot. Yeah, that's a common answer. Oversleeping is another one. I don't oversleep now because I can barely get any sleep. My arm hurts. I know. Oversleeping and undersleeping is one. Um, consuming a lot of media or keeping... Like, if you're feeling a lot of tension... I will like, I mean, yeah, sometimes I'll downregulate by playing a video game or I'll watch TikTok videos or I'll make music. I like the make music part because that puts your brain in a place of creativity. Yeah. You, you asked earlier about what does it say that you like all those kind of like more violence intense movies. And I may have a low tolerance for them, but if you're feeling a high level of resistance in your body and in your emotional state because you're constantly having to resist other people, then... There's a lot of resistance and tension in that type of entertainment and media because that's what creates that that feeling is that suspense and that terror and that power struggle and 
you know, the the fight or flight, you can see, oh, we gotta we gotta solve this problem by this deadline, or this person's gonna kill us. So like, it's all that same kind of tension. Oh no, what do we break? Oh, you really broke it. Super. Okay. Is this a perfect place to stop or what? Yep, I gotta try and fix a. Yeah, a, a toy. Yep. Rochelle is now going to be oh, a yeah. mechanical engineer and try to reimagine this bulldozer. I might actually have to call the mechanical engineer in the family. Maybe. I'll look at it, though. Okay. All right. But, Did you want to say no. any final thoughts? No, I appreciate you letting me get all that out. Yeah. Well, so much for News Minute and Pop Minute this week. Do you have one? I was just going to do it. Do it live. Do it, please, because we have time. Um. But but I mean I don't I don't know enough about what's going on I just looked. Well, just pull up. Some, I mean there are some big things going on. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you're going to leave your your bulldozer without wheels. That's creative. I don't That's know. That's fine. Okay, it's fine, honey. Yeah, I'm. I don't have. I I need to do some research this week so that we have. Well, a I know you like to have minute. these things like written out. It just helps me. Yeah, and that's fine. Um, I think I think the parting thoughts here would just be, know that it's okay to ask the question: is is what I'm feeling right now my feelings or theirs? And if it's theirs, it's not your responsibility. Like you can kind of help to draw that line. Okay you on that audience yeah <laughs> so all right uh i know that we took a big break and now we're releasing two episodes really close together yep so uh we're gonna do our best to uh come back quickly but um if you see that we're slacking it's probably just like everyone else we just have life going on and we're trying to figure things out but um as i've said before we will be back we will um, be I'm Blake. And I'm Rochelle. And here's some new music for you. Check it out.